and welcome to Hear and Know, a new podcast presented by Hill and Knowlton Strategies, a global communications agency with a simple goal to drive growth, build reputation and protect against risk. Hello and welcome to this, our third episode in our series, Should Robots Have Rights? where we talk about issues concerning intellectual property and artificial intelligence. Today, I'm talking to two people from the UK's Intellectual Property Office, which is the government agency responsible for intellectual property under the auspices of the Department for Business. The UK's Intellectual Property Office has an an open call for views at the moment, precisely on this question of artificial intelligence and IP. So I'm delighted to welcome two guests, Robin Stout, who is the Deputy Director of Copyright Policy, and Mike Pryor, who is the Deputy Director of Patent Policy. Hello, Robin. Hi, Mike. Morning. Morning, morning. Thanks to you both for joining me today. So first of all, Robin, I'd like to start with you. Uh, Could you just explain why the UK Intellectual Property Office is uh, having this call for views on AI and IP right now? Yes, of course. So, um, so AI is something which I think has really risen up the agenda of many countries recently. And it's not only the UK that's looking at these issues at the moment. Um, the United States has been carrying out a similar exercise to us. The World Intellectual Property Organization is looking at similar questions to do with intellectual property and AI. And the main reason for this is simply that the technology is reaching a point where machines are now able to create and invent things uh, which are comparable in some senses to to human inventions and creations. Um, And so this is something which I think is on the mind of lots of people in different intellectual property offices around the world. Um, For our government as well, we have um, an objective to be a place where firms want to invest in AI technology and, and society benefits from that technology. So it's something where at the Intellectual Property Office, um, we've taken an interest in it for a while. Um, we were preparing to go out with our call for views earlier in the year, but things have been somewhat delayed because of um, the present circumstances. Um, but yes, we're very glad to be able to ask people for, for their views at the moment on this, this important topic. And in terms of the, the technology and where it's at, so Robin, you obviously are responsible for the copyright sector and mm-hmm. Mike, you're responsible for the patent side. Um, Mike, do you have a sense of uh, w- in which area the technology is most developed? So, you know, are we seeing more AI that is creative in the copyright sense or more AI that is kind of inventive in the patent sense? Or is there not much between them? Um, I think certainly in terms of where we've seen the kind of intersections um, between AI and IP, it's probably um, on the copyright side that we see the kind of more, um, the earlier kind of application in terms of AI developing music um, or, you know, being used uh, in like an image production process is probably ahead of the kind of um, situation where we've seen AI purportedly creating new inventions. So I'd say that the the, the kind of the the interaction with copyright is perhaps 
a more developed stage than it is with patents. But the kind of underlying technologies in, in terms of AI, it's kind of, it, it's IP neutral. It's, it's not being used to affect one right more than another. It's just as they develop, they start to interact with the rights in an earlier or uh, later kind of way. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, previously, on previous episodes, um, it's been said that the only artificial thing about artificial intelligence is the word artificial. Uh, and actually, there's just intelligence, and it shouldn't really matter whether you have invented or created something yourself as a human being, or whether you have programmed a machine that has then come up with something autonomously itself. And we've also had some quite entertaining discussions about, you know, animals, elephants with paintbrushes, the famous monkey selfie, all this sort of thing. Is that where it's going, do you think, uh, in terms of there just being a non-discriminatory non sort of um, rights regardless of the origin? Um, so that's a very good question. And I think it's quite a, a difficult one to answer. I mean, what we tried to do in our call for views is kind of set out some of the underlying philosophy and rationale for the IP rights so that you, people can understand that and compare that um, that difference between human-led creativity and innovation and machine-led or developed innovation and creativity. Um, I think there's kind of there's three things that we have to think about in terms of why we have IP rights or patent rights in particular, incentivization, protection and reward. So firstly, in terms of incentivization, it's quite difficult to see how you would incentivize a machine to develop a new innovation or file for a patent. And maybe it's the case that only human behavior can be incentivized. But you know, I, I don't have a closed mind on this point. And it may be that as technology advances, um, that different factors come into play. It, it's difficult to say. Um, secondly, protection. In, in terms of protect, patent protection, patent protection exists to uh, prevent and protect investment in research and development. Um, and there's a question of whether it really matters whether that research and development is the, the product of a human mind or product of a machine mind or the product of both. Um, I, I would say it doesn't, but you know, again, uh, in terms of our call for views, we're, we're open minded on this and want to hear from different sides of the debate. And then finally, in terms of reward. I think certainly in terms of patents, and, and maybe Robin might want to come in on, on copyright because it's slightly different, but certainly in terms of patents, I mean, if, if reward is a kind of a moral question, there isn't really a kind of any moral rights associated with patents beyond um, having the inventor of, a, of an invention having the moral right to be identified as such on, on the front of the patent. Um, and we've already seen uh, a court case where it's precisely this issue at stake. Uh, and, and the court decided that an inventor under UK law has to be a human. Is that the Dabas case? That is the Dabas case. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so it would see at, at the moment that it does matter in, in terms of reward and the moral rights that the origin of the invention is a human rather than a machine. Um, is that a morally right or correct outcome. I mean, that's one of the questions we ask in our call for views as well. And that's something we're interested to hear from people on. 
Yeah, interesting. Um, but going back to the incentivization point, so uh, clearly you can't incentivize a machine to do something, but you can incentivize the people behind the machine. So I suppose the question is really, you know, are we incentivizing by extending the rights regime to machine inventions? You would be looking to incentivize coders and engineers to create creative AI machines. So that would be the purpose, I suppose. Potentially, yes. But I think some of the argument in terms of uh, machine and machine and uh, AI inventions is that you can't look behind the kind of it's a question of whether you can look behind behind the machine to see the coders or not, or whether the machine is just doing its own thing and inventing stuff kind of the, the coders may have set it up a long time ago, but the machine is doing its own thing now and you can't look behind you can't have that chain of mm. um, uh, liability that goes behind the AI to point to the, the coders in the, in, the, in the first instance. Yes, okay, right. Well, you mentioned a very interesting word, liability, which opens another whole can of worms, of course. So, um, you know, having spoken to a few people, it's become clear to me that there are sort of two sides to this debate. One is the entitlement to rights, and the other one is um, the, the whole question of whether machines can infringe rights and whether they can be liable in any sense under the law or whether or rather the people behind them can so um is that something that you're also looking at in terms of your uh, call for views and um, robin perhaps back to you um so that's something um something that we cover so our call for views aims to ask some questions on the ai framework and whether or not it the ip framework and whether or not it protects um it works for ai in terms of generation of works or use of works but also it aims to go through what the current framework is and what it does and um when it comes to liability i think we think it's reasonably clear that if an ai infringes then someone somewhere is liable and the person who's liable will depend on essentially who's in control of of that ai at the time um, and it could be a different person a different different contexts now it's something where you know we, we'd like to hear people's views on whether or not that's the right approach whether or not they think specific people should be liable and what and under what circumstances going back to the broader question about why we may want to protect works generated by AI or ai or not in copyright we we begin with a different from a different position to patents in that we do protect um works generated by computers we have a a special category for that but the kind of philosophical questions when we look into why or whether we should do that are, are, are similar to, to the ones Mike set out you know the question of whether or not you need to incentivize machines to, to generate works uh, I, I think on the copyright side there's a there's a kind of separate argument around uh, natural rights theory and the idea that copyright is often seen as necessary to protect people's expressions as, as a simple the expressions of their personality and this is very much the kind of continental view of of, of, of copyright um, and that simply because as human beings um, you know we have human rights and, and we should have rights to control the things that we create and I think that's interesting when we look at the rationale for copyright, um, and it goes to the question you asked about animals as well, and because it's really, are we treating AIs like human beings? You know, do they deserve to be created, be treated like human beings? At, at the moment, I don't think anyone would consider an AI to have a similar kind of intelligence or personality to a human. 
if at some future point they they reach that status, then I guess we'll be talking about rights for machines in a, in a much more general sense. But until we get there, it's hard to see a kind of similar rights-based argument, I'd say, for that type of protection. Now, as I said, we do have that protection. And I think the rationale in the first place was really based on on investment in the industry. So as you pointed out, you know, I think it was about saying that um, these works may not be created by people, but they're nevertheless valuable and important, and they deserve some means of protection to encourage investment in, the, in that sure. technology. Sure, because I mean, if you are a company that has created an algorithm, um, as is the case with with Warner Music, for example, they've created an algorithm which is producing large amounts of of sort of mood music. And if that could just be copied by anyone anywhere, then all of the investment that they've put into not only developing the algorithm, but also marketing it and promoting it and all of that is then ripped off by people copying. So I guess Mm -hmm. that's sort of the, the, the there's quite a strong argument, potentially, certainly in terms of these sort of economic incentives. As you say, it's a bit trickier when we come to sort of ideas of moral rights or personality, things like that. So you mentioned that the UK already has a framework for um, computer-generated works under, for the at least in the copyright framework. So that's the 1988 law, I believe. It's quite that's quite unusual. There's not many countries that have this kind of right already in place. Do you think that that gives the UK, in some respects, a kind of head start in terms of encouraging investment and creativity through AI? So that's a good question. So we're we looked into, I guess, some of the history when we were putting together our call for views. And when you read the uh, statements in Parliament by government ministers, they were very confident that this was a step into the future by the UK and we would be encouraging um, you know, growth in this area by doing so. So kind of the similar, similar sort of questions that we're looking at now, you know, we want to encourage um, investment in the sector. Looking back, lots of other countries haven't introduced this protection. I mean, most notably, the United States doesn't doesn't protect these works in the same way that we do. And it's hard to say whether or not um, that has had a difference. I mean, one thing I think we we would hope uh, to to take views on in in, the, in our our current call for views is is whether or not people can point to any evidence where the UK approach has um, had had that sort of effect. But yeah, it's fascinating looking back. Um, uh, the uh, statements made in Parliament in 1987, you know, it's a good reminder as well that the technology has been around for a while, you know, they were actually, they were talking about AI and things it could do in the future, and maybe the future arrives slightly later than they were imagining, but, um, but yeah, they were, they were contemplating this stuff back then. Yeah, amazing. Yes, there's nothing new about technology. So, and Mike, uh, in terms of the patent framework, which doesn't currently permit uh, for rights for computer-generated works, do you think that there's an argument for creating a, a similar framework in the patent world? Well, you say the patent system doesn't allow for computer-generated works. It's because the patent system doesn't protect what we would call works. The patent system protects inventions. Um, and it's certainly the case that inventions have been um, developed based on uh, input or the assistance of AI systems and software and tools. And that's probably been around for, for quite a long time in that, you know, AI has been helping to develop, I don't know, a more uh, aerodynamic uh, shape for an aeroplane wing or, or something like that. Um, so it's certainly the case that, you know, AI is a tool that can help generate inventions. What what we kind of have, have seen is a more kind of 
recently and with the Davos court case is a more philosophical point where the um, the inventor is said to be a machine that is not only kind of helping to degenerate a, a, a solution, but identifying the problem as well. So looking at a problem and then coming up with a solution to that. So it's a more kind of a complex situation. And the question there is, you know, how much of the human interaction there is in, in, in setting up that machine and, 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 and questions of fact like that. So it's yeah. certainly, yeah, it's certainly the case that you can get uh, patents granted on uh, inventions that have been, you know, developed with AI and you can get um, patents on inventions which, you know, incorporate AI systems within them, whether they're AI control systems um, or, or other kind of applications of neural networks that have a technical effect. What in patent law, um, what you what you can't get a patent for is um, a, a computer program as such, because that's excluded from patentability. And that's, there's quite a long history to that, which I won't go into, but uh, essentially, although you can't get a, a patent for a computer program as such, you can get one where that patent has a technical effect. So uh, the kind of classic example we use within the IPO when we're teaching our patent examiners is a uh, an anti-lock brake system where you've got a computer program that controls the braking system of the car such that the brakes don't lock. It, you know, it pulses them in a certain way um, and has a technical effect in that way. So that the, the software, be it standard software or artificial intelligence software um, ha has a technical effect when combined with the brake system um, such that it can be patented. Right, does that, sure. Does that answer your question? Yes, I think so. I think so. Um, so, I mean, essentially, the only the only area where there's a sort of hole, if you like, um, is where AI systems are generating inventions extremely autonomously of the human beings behind. Yeah, so that, that, that's, 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 yeah, there's a kind of, there's a question over that as to, you know, uh, like you say, um, who, where inventorship and ownership of those yeah. inventions lies. But, you know, there's also the kind of question where, you know, this, this kind of a patentability rule around um, computer software that we've had for a long time, is that still applicable in the AI age? That's an open question we ask in our um, call for views as well. Yeah, excellent. Okay. So um, what about the, uh, again, going back to copyright, the most recent copyright directive, your EU copyright directive, contains an exception for data mining, uh, which is all about enabling companies or individuals who are programming AI machines to do clever and creative things. So allowing them to ingest huge amounts of data without infringing copyright. Now that directive is there is currently, uh, I think the situation is that the UK is not planning to implement the directive. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there will be a similar uh, kind of provision brought in regardless? Or will the UK be going its own way? So the question is, will we be doing something similar to the Copyright Directive? So, so the, the UK was involved in the negotiations of the Copyright Directive back in the day um, and involved in the discussions around data mining. Um, we already actually have an exception for data mining in our current copyright law. It was something the UK pioneered several years ago, but ours only covers certain things. It only covers non-commercial use in particular, um, which I think is quite a, a, a restriction when, when you um, look at uh, what's happening in the field. And um, the 
European approach is slightly different and it focuses on institutions like research organizations um, and also certain commercial types of data mining under certain conditions. We are following what's going on in Europe and, uh, and looking at that with interest. We're actually in quite a, a privileged position that we can look at Europe and see how it plays out there. Currently, member states are, uh, are implementing the directive. And I think it's certainly something we're paying attention to. And it has some relevance to the current uh, call for views that we're, we're doing, because I, I think some of the questions about how AI machines take in uh, copyright material and how they use it, some of those relate to um, whether or not we have data mining exceptions to make that a bit easier. But yes, certainly no intention to implement the directive um, as such and whether or not we choose to do something similar in the future I think is 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 a question um, for the future and yeah. and certainly um, data mining is something that I'm sure will be raised by people during the, the process we're currently going through. Sure and I guess it is about striking that balance that allows it to be easier, as you say, to ingest copyright material into AI systems, but in a way that doesn't pull the rug out from underneath all the human creators whose whose efforts have gone into creating that material in the first place. Well, that's right. And and an argument in favour of having an exception and, and in favour of data mining generally is that if you are a human being and you're, and you're reading a book, say, um, you don't have to get permission to, like, store a memory of what you've just learned in your head and to kind of draw conclusions from it and do and do the various things that computers can do you don't need permission for that you're just able to read the book you know you pay for access to the book in the first place yeah. and so this idea that um data mining systems should be kind of treated in a similar way to a to, to a researcher reading a book but it'll be it'll be kind of you know millions of researchers maybe doing this on 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 mass um that i, I guess that's the argument in 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 favor um but then if we're thinking of these sorts of approaches, just making it easier to um, use these materials, and obviously there are other approaches, you can make it easier, but under a sort of license framework um, so that people are actually able to kind of use material, but also uh, there'll be some payment to creators when the machine uses that in, um, internally. Um, obviously, you know, there, there ought to be some reward to a creator when a machine, uh, if, a, if a machine were to generate a copyright work and, and publish it and, you know, put it on the internet or something, then that's something they should be getting permission for anyway. Um, and, and, a, and a creator should get a reward for that. But so we're really looking at use inside the machine and whether or not um, copies being made inside the machine should also be restricted or licensed or, or, or simply permitted. Yeah, sure. And actually, I think it's also it's important to point out that this isn't a sort of binary creator versus machine, because there are so many creators that are using AI themselves to create yeah. new work and to, to do, do things differently. Um, so they would also actually benefit from the data mining exception. Um, so, right, just a few practical things then. When does your call for views finish? Uh, so the call for views finishes on the 30th of November, so just a couple of weeks' time. I understand the link to the call for views will be on the podcast notes. Is that right, Emma? Yes, yes. Super. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it's available on a search engine of your choice. If you type in call for views, AI and intellectual property, it should come up. And and who are you hoping to hear from? So obviously, we hope to hear from those with a particular 
professional expertise, let's say in AI and IP, either jointly or severally, be it from business perspective, academic perspective, legal perspective. But the, the call for views, you know, it raises ethical and other public policy questions that we hope the public at large might be able to feed into too. So, you know, recognising that we have tried to make the call for views, you know, uh, written in as accessible language as possible um, to try to make it, you know, accessible to that wider audience. Stopping short of saying absolutely everybody, but, you know, uh, the public at large probably have some, you know, would have interest in some of these ethical questions. And also, if I can, I'd just like to flag that while we've spoken today about um, copyright and patents, the call for views does cover the other IP rights more broadly. So designs trademarks uh, and trade secrets. Yes, excellent. Okay, thank you so much. Well, thank you both for joining me today. Great conversation and uh, thanks. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening. Join me next time when I ask more experts if robots should have rights.